Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Production Incorporated. I am co-host Connor McNamara Stratton, and with my good friend Jack Rossiter Munley, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking, and you have a spare minute, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I'm at Connor M. Stratton, and Jack is at Jack Rossiter Munn. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. And our website, where you can find all our past episodes, is closetalking.com. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And we are here with you on day two of Sonnet Week of National Poetry Month. Woo! We're talking about sonnets. And if you missed the last episode, which was yesterday, we went over a pretty general overview of the sonnet. We talked about an old, old, old sonnet, and we talked about a pretty darn new sonnet. Um, we talked about the Holy Roman Empire. We talked about all the different lines and rhyme schemes. And now we're getting right down into it. We're getting into the heart of the sonnet boom, today. Boom, boom. Um, sorry. I, 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 just heard, I just heard a Volta in the distance, Connor. Did you hear that? <laughs> a beating Volta. By the Volta of Zeus. <laughs> hey, uh, Connor. Hey, Jack. Hey, uh, what was sonnet writing Zeus's favorite weapon? Oh, man. What was it, Jack? A Thundervolta. Oh, rat. <laughs> Got him again. Got me again. Oh. Well. <sighs> hey, Connor. Oh. What kind, of, what kind of car does a poet drive? A sonnet writing poet. A poet who only writes sonnets. <laughs> oh, what, what kind of car, Jack? A Chevy Volta. Wow. Ah, got him again. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of words that sound like Volt. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite unfortunate. I wish they picked a less punnable one, to be honest. Well, you're um, going to have to go back in time and talk to, you know, Giacomo Delentini. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's get right into it. What's a Volta? <laughs> we touched on this a little bit in our previous episode. What's a Volta? A Volta, a Volta is a turn. Okay. That's all you need to know. A Volta is a turn. My Chevy joke is sounding better and better right now. Wow. 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 Okay. It's not just a turn. It's almost like a twist. Or it's like a spark. Or... It's like a volt. Because here's the thing. On the one hand, it's the part of the sonnet 
you know, if you have your two parts of the sonnet and your first part, it's going in a particular direction. Okay. You know, the movie collateral that has yes. Tom Cruise and, uh, Jamie Foxx, Jamie Foxx, Jamie Foxx driving around. Then a body drops onto his car. Boom. Boom. And the movie gets going. Okay. Jamie Foxx, before that body dropped on the car, he thought he was going one way with his day. All right. And let me driving around, driving around Tom Cruise shaped dude. That's what he thought. But then after the body fell and landed on top of his car, things took a turn and they got a lot worse for him for a while. They ended up, I think, pretty bad ultimately, but maybe he grew as a person at the end. I don't really know. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, he it's, you know, spoilers for collateral. He ended up, it was fine. It ended up it's being tense for a while, but, it, but it's okay. And you listen to some good music along the way. I think of a Volta like uh, the body hitting the car in collateral. It's not just turns the direction, but it's also, it's a supercharge event. It's, it, it's the energy. This, this is interesting because you're talking about it like the inciting incident. And I've always likened it more to what in narrative studies gets termed the midpoint reversal, which is okay. like there's a certain conflict going on and then it gets reframed about halfway through. Mm. And I totally take your point about the body hitting the car and like, you know, a shocking thing. But like, I think it's often that reveal of like, and the real bad guy was this person all along in the middle of the movie. And then the second half is about gearing up to actually fight them. Like the heroes are, are working in one direction. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, it was, you know, it was this all along. Yeah. Um, that's you're right. But I think either one is, is probably equally true. Um, and in my eternal quest to make everything about Bruce Springsteen, when talking about his <laughs> classic 1978 album, darkness on the edge of town, in trying to describe the like aesthetic or the idea behind how he wanted a lot of it to go. And there's a lot of pretty Volta worthy stuff going on in those songs, sonically, lyrically, etc. But the way he described it was cinematically, which is the idea was like at the end of one song, the camera is on a family at a picnic. And then at the beginning of the next, it's smash cuts to a dead body. And it's like, you think it's going in this one direction with a picnic, but actually no, boom, dead body. Like he wanted that really dramatic kind of feel to the album. And I feel like every sonnet is kind of going after that. And that becomes this like essential part of the form, as we talked about a little bit in our first episode from those really early days where it's courtly love or, you know, other forms of love, or it's very, very often love in early sonnets. Um, and like for a lot of the sonnet history, but then what the form comes to contain as it changes, as it moves to new locations, as new traditions are built around it, that element of the kind of, you know, the body hitting the car at some point and the necessary contradictions, entanglements that any form built around that kind of a change are going to have to have in them become this really defining element of the sonnet more so than any specific subject matter, because most movies have some version of that going on. Some are louder. Some of them are body hitting the car. Some of them are quieter, but it's got that. It's, it's almost like a version of narrative 
tension, this other kind of like formal tension in the sonnet. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And I, I take your point about the midpoint, not the inciting incident. I think that's probably right because the sonnet before the Volta has tension in it that that's propelling it. And the Volta is providing that extra turn or reveal. And to be clear, sonnets aren't the only poems that have turns. You know, basically, you know, haiku, we actually talked about turns a lot. And I think that turns are actually a pretty just governing structure in, in poetry, like one of the main kind of formal elements. But the sonnet has, at least traditionally, sort of certain ways that the Volta works, I guess. So, I mean, there's two super, super traditional ways that, that can roughly be divided into the kind of Shakespearean sonnet and then the Petrarchan sonnet. So maybe we'll, we'll read some, some poems and we'll talk about that. But I mean, in the most basic sense, you could think of your Shakespearean, you have a, a turn in the last couplet, at, like at the last final lines. Um, and that, that kind of like seals the deal. And then the Petrarchan, as kind of the the poem we the the Lentini poem we talked about, after the eighth line, there's the kind of new thought. So yeah, Shakespeare is sort of four 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 two, and it's those two which are also a couplet that rhyme with each other that tend to be yeah, they're which kind of, in, they're kind of broken off into their own little area. Whereas with Petrarch, it's eight and six; it's two bigger chunks to kind of reckon mm -hmm. with. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'm going to read a very classic, iconic, canonical one. That is also a little problematic, but it, it serves the point. It's also by a man I have admittedly great fondness for. It is Lita and the Swan by William Butler Yeats. It draws on a lot of the sort of Greek mythology. It's a very classically fucked up classical story. Zeus uh, turns himself into a swan, attacks Leda, a human girl, rapes her, and then Leda gives birth to Helen and Platonestra. And yeah, and Helen is Helen of Troy. And so, and, you know, the whole Trojan War is like, kind of starts because of Helen and Troy. So there's this whole thing. And so the, the poem Lita and the Swan by Yeats is kind of a, an imagining, a rendering of, of that mythical story. Um, and it's a sonnet and it has a very, it has a very kind of like the Petrarchan Volta turn after the eighth line. So I will read that now. Lita and the Swan. A sudden blow, the great wings beating still above the staggering girl, her thighs caressed by the dark webs, her nape caught in his bill, he holds her helpless breast upon his breast. How can those terrified vague fingers push the feathered glory from her loosening thighs? And how can body laid in that white rush 
but feel the strange heart beating where it lies. A shudder in the loins engenders there, the broken wall, the burning roof and tower, and Agamemnon dead. Being so caught up, so mastered by the brute blood of the air, did she put on his knowledge with his power before the indifferent beak could let her drop? Mm. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's a very intense poem, but in terms of the volta, it's very kind of instructive in that the first sort of eight lines, all the, you know, from a sudden blow to the, but feel the strange heart beating where it lies, kind of all describe the, basically the scene, the event of the attack and the rape of Zeus as the swan. And then the last six lines basically zoom out in a way uh, from that event and, and kind of talk, sort of go over the mythology, like the broken wall, the burning roof and tower and Agamemnon, Agamemnon dead. Um, the broken wall, the roof and tower, that's kind of like the Trojan war that starts because of Helen of Troy, I mean, not because of her, but you know, and Agamemnon basically was married to Clytemnestra, which I don't know how to say that name. And I think she kills Agamemnon. So there is, in the most sort of crude play-by-play, there's an incredible violence depicted in the first eight lines. And then there is this mythological, mythical and historical violence that is alluded to and described in the the last six lines of the poem and you know the the criticisms of the poem i think the strongest ones have to do with this final question of did she put on his knowledge with his power before the indifferent beak could let her drop which is this like did she put on his knowledge with his power which is just sort of like this this question of you know whether lita gained something from this sexual violence basically. And yeah, and then especially it being, yeah, written by a man who's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it puts the Volta and sort of what we were talking about with this, this turn being both like a shift, but also this, maybe the body on the car or this like reveal where it, it takes the kind of tension and the, the argument and the scene of the beginning and it moves that in a different direction and so you're like you have that really intense and the poem is probably problematically but very viscerally violent you know the the language is very intense especially in the beginning and so when it moves kind of into the mythical and the historical and then also kind of the abstract in the volta it has that kind of it keeps the visceral power and the violence importantly of the beginning and then also you know we talk about the rhyme schemes this one actually has a similar one as the very first one that we talked about in the last episode the uh San sonetto 26 by dalatini where we have these two four line stanzas these quatrains 
and this ABAB thing. Beating still in his bill, thighs caressed upon his breast, fingers pushed in that white rush. And then in the, the six line stanza at the end, engenders their blood of the air, roof and tower with his power, so caught up, letter drop. It's not a perfect rhyme in the being so caught up could let her drop like up and up, but um, it's a very similar kind of thing. And so, um, and this was, this was, was published, I think first in like the 1920s. So it's much, much farther along after Dalentini and it's doing some things that are, that are pretty innovative for, for its time. Yeah, it's a very like kind of technically perfect sonnet is often talked about that way. And so despite its difficult and problematic rendering of the subject matter, it felt useful to, to sort of talk about in that way. Definitely. And I think you did a very good job of contextualizing all of the problematic elements of it. But from like that technical standpoint, part of why it's so useful in talking about the Volta is because it does the thing. So we sort of talked about the drama of the Volta, but like another element is that it's this turn into getting to what the sonnet's actually about or what the poem is like thematically really concerned with. And the example that I often use when talking about something like that is uh, Robert Caro's biographies of Lyndon Johnson, which is like this incredibly detailed, very well-written history of the life of Lyndon Johnson but similar to his biography of Robert Moses, the power broker, it's actually about how an individual person or group of people can use power. And in this instance, like political power in the U.S. government system. And so it is the story of Lyndon Johnson. But the reason he's writing this long biography of Lyndon Johnson over many volumes is to get at this question of why was Johnson so good at using political power to affect some of the biggest changes that any individual figure did? Why was he the master of the Senate and so good at Senate procedure to get things done in the Senate? Why was he very effective then as president using his position to get large civil rights bills passed or to get a black Supreme Court justice appointed mere years after the sort of public facing civil rights movement in the 60s happened? And I feel like that's kind of what happens in the turn in a lot of sonnets is it goes from that set up portion into that like really thematic portion. Um, and it bridges those two things. So it goes from the part where maybe you get an anecdote about Lyndon Johnson for the first eight lines, and then the last six are getting into like the broader question of political power. And you're doing it through the vehicle of your first section, but like the real concerns come out after the body falls on the car or after whatever the reframing event is. And I think you really get a sense of that in Lita and the Swan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have another good poem that, that kind of, it's contemporary, but I think it, it gets at the other traditional Volta of the Shakespearean sort, um, where we have the, the kind of turn that comes in the last couplet. And yeah, maybe you want to read that one. Sure. Um, so this is part of Border Triptych by Eduardo Corral, which is three poems, as you might imagine, uh, and they are ekphrastic sonnets. So there are, there's a photograph associated with each one. Um, so we will obviously link to where you can find that. But this is the first of the three. 
and here it is. For the past 15 years, six days a week, at half past eight, Jorge has biked into my checkpoint station. He hawks over his papers, allows me to examine his lunchbox, and then wheels off to his 12-hour shift at the pallet and crate factory. I'm close to madness. I suspect he's been smuggling contraband, prescription, or illegal. He sports new toupees under a cap depicting an eagle devouring a snake. He rides spit-shined bikes that I inspect by taking them apart, checking inside the hollow pipes, sometimes slicing open the tires, but so far, nothing. Jorge always remains calm and doesn't say a damn thing. Yesterday, a few days from my retirement, I swallowed my pride and swore, if he told me the truth, to keep my lips tight. The bastard smiled and casually replied, I smuggle bikes. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the photo that accompanies, or that is like the companion to that, is uh, a, a picture of a bike tire with marijuana inside of it. And the caption just says, marijuana stuffed in a bicycle tire. Yeah, and it's by uh, Eduardo Corral. It's from his first book, Flow Lightning. And the other two poems are are wonderful in it. I love, I smuggled bikes. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And you're, you're totally right. The, the big reframing comes at the end where like after, you know, there's a lot of different things that are going on that are being reframed in that poem. There is the kind of, you know, hidden purposes of both of the main people in the poem, both the speaker and Jorge. So the speaker's hidden purpose in inspecting Jorge is like, the the stated purpose is to try and find something but like jorge might not know how intensely the speaker suspects him so that's kind of the hidden purpose from the speaker's point of view even though the inspection is obvious like the intensity of the suspicion might not be and so kind of finally articulating that and then of course the big mystery reveal of <laughs> you know where are all these toupees coming from <laughs> uh, and and I think it's it's interesting that like how many different seeds are sown for that where you get something like he rides spit shined bikes like these are brand new bikes it was right there under his nose the whole time purloined <laughs> letter style but yeah and like after this poem that also feels fairly serious like it's coming up to retirement the job is ending like all of a sudden the eternal struggle between these two you know forces destined to be in conflict the border guard and the smuggler it's actually got an end date like that's coming to an end as well we learn in the last lines and then of course also just the injection of a real humor there's kind of it's not a heavy poem before that point but like real humor coming in in those last lines is another kind of tonal reframing that is happening for the whole poem yeah absolutely it's 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 kind of a it's almost like a joke poem um, I mean, not, it's not, it has a lot going on, I think, but the couplet at the end has a such, such humor. And because it's just a, it happens all in the couplet and it's been building for the whole thing. The Volta being the Shakespearean couplet final thing has the punch of kind of like a, like a punchline of like something at the end that twists everything or whatever. Yeah. I also, it's also just like a, it's an interesting poem I was just noticing when you were reading it that it still has it's one of the qu sort of quiet 
sonnet forms where it actually has a very pretty formal rhyme scheme as well. But um, the way that the lines and the enjambments and the line breaks work, you don't notice it that much. And because it's a, it's a, it's a great clear narrative story, you, you also are following the story. And so you can, you can be tricked, but there's like half past eight. Uh, it's like A, B, B, A is the C first three. A, B, B, A, C, D, D, C, E, F, F, E, G, G. Mm-hmm which is like classic Shakespeare, like half past eight. Uh, and then like he hawks, lunchbox, paladin crate, I suspect, illegal and eagle, I inspect, hollow, so far nothing, say a damn thing, swallowed, keep my lips tight, I smuggle bikes. I think it works really well because it, it threads the story really well and it keeps that going but it if the rhymes were too loud i think it would it could distract from from the narrative which is really important to especially the final sort of couplet twist turn yeah because like hawks and box is not is not the loud it's not like fox and box and socks or something you know it's like yeah. it's a you know it's not a half rhyme it's more than that but it's not a full rhyme it's like an 80% rhyme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And same with, you know, like a damn thing and nothing is like, it's a full rhyme, but the stresses are kind of weird and like hollow and swallowed is also mostly there. And the way that it's like checking inside the hollow pipes, like pipes is on the next line. So it's, you know, it's not like checking inside the hollow. I swallowed. They're, they almost work like internal rhymes, the way that the sentences and the line breaks are. Yeah, you even it's... get that straddling the stanzas where technically half past eight is rhyming with palette and crate, but it's actually palette and crate factory, and factory is the beginning of the next stanza. So yeah. the kind of natural way to read it is, and then wheels off to his 12-hour shift at the palette and crate factory, as opposed to at the palette and crate. Factory, I'm close to madness, I suspect. He's been smuggling contraband, <laughs> prescription, or illegal. He sports new toupees under a cap depicting an eagle. Devouring a snake, he rides spit shine bikes, I inspect. Like, you can force that kind of cadence onto it, and the rhymes yeah. become much louder. But that's just not how you, how you feel the reading as you're going through it. And, you know, it's almost like the lines happen to break where they do. Exactly. And, and the really, like, the, the bigger feeling is for where the actual sentences are which all string together and as you're saying like there's the narrative pull of the story that keeps you going through the sentences rather than focusing on the on the line breaks yeah and it's just it's a really interesting to me it's such a great example of different ways that contemporary poems are like are and aren't you know engaging with the sonnet form where like on the one hand it has a pretty you know there are some sonnets today and for a while that don't even try to fake a rhyme scheme. They're just like, okay, it's got 14 lines, like, you know, STFU, like it's a sonnet. But this one does, it just like hides it really well. Almost like contraband being hidden under the nose of the reader. Oh my gosh. Ooh, it's all connected. Wow. And yeah, I, I will link to the, the triptych because it also, the sonnet structure, I think, like develops really well 
throughout because there it's three sonnets and all three have the kind of final couplet volta move and it it does a different thing each time uh some is really intense uh the second one is really intense especially yeah it's just like it's a really it's cool it's very cool maybe we should read it again yeah we'll read it again and keep your ears out for that volta all right here it is the first poem in border triptych for the past 15 years six days a week at half past eight jorge has biked into my checkpoint station he hawks over his papers allows me to examine his lunchbox and then wheels off to his 12-hour shift at the pallet and crate factory i'm close to madness I suspect he's been smuggling contraband, prescription, or illegal. He sports new toupees under a cap depicting an eagle devouring a snake. He rides spit-shined bikes that I inspect by taking them apart, checking inside the hollow pipes, sometimes slicing open the tire, but so far, nothing. Jorge always remains calm and doesn't say a damn thing. Yesterday... A few days before my retirement, I swallowed my pride and swore if he told me the truth to keep my lips tight. The bastard smiled and casually replied, I smuggle bikes. And uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's all you need to know about Volta's. JK, it's an endless, endless <laughs> There's always more well. to learn about the Volta. <laughs> yes, and we will be coming back tomorrow with more on those vaunted early uh, users of the sonnet form, people like Petrarch and Dante, um, heading back into the into the depths of the form to bring some of that uh, some of that early early stuff that ends up being very influential, um, and of course, always more stuff on Voltas. The Volta, once you are first acquainted with the Volta, it never leaves your side. Would you say that you end up becoming a devoltee? <laughs> oh, God. Stop. Cut the recording. No more. Oh. And that'll do it for today. We'll see you tomorrow for the third episode of Sonnet Week. Sonnet Week. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for Pun Week. No.